0: Ready? Good morning. Um, we're going to talk today about alterations in cardiac output, um, specifically hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. Did everyone get their handout and a clicker? Okay. The objectives today are a lot of them, and they're all listed there. We're going to look at the pathophysiology of pregnancy-induced hypertension, talk about risk factors in developing. PIH pregnancy-induced hypertension Um, recognize assessment findings consistent with PIH identify the effects on both mom and baby discuss uh, discuss nursing interventions and explain interventions related to magnesium sulfate which is the big drug in preeclampsia or PIH just a brief overview. When you're looking at classes of hypertensive disorders in pregnancy, there's a lot of them. There's like six of them: three, four, five, six. Gestational hypertension, transient hypertension, and these are all in your book, so you don't have to go writing frantically. Um, preeclampsia, eclampsia, chronic hypertension, and preeclampsia superimposed on chronic hypertension. In your textbook, I forget what page it's on, but there's a a graph, not a graph, a box that has each category, each class, talks about the findings that differentiate it between each other, okay? The incidence of preeclampsia, specifically, is what we'll talk about today, is about 39.9 per 1,000 births. And that was as of 2005. And that's an increasing rate from previous years. It's highest among non-Hispanic blacks at 45.6 per 1,000. And you're more at risk with your age extremes, under the age of 20 and older than 40. And according to the CDC, for the 1990s, It was the third leading cause of maternal death. Okay. If you guys want to come up, there's handouts, and you want to grab a clicker. Please. Please. Y'all ready for me to move on? Can y'all hear me? I will probably spend the most time on this section because it gets very confusing. This... I know, you don't have all the slides because I had to pay for the slides myself, the paper. (laughs) And it got expensive. But I only excluded slides where they're in your book. Okay? So this picture is in your book. And it's on page... 789 okay does anyone know what has anyone taken care of a patient who's had preeclampsia or pregnancy-induced hypertension they're used interchangeably in the clinical side setting no does anyone have an idea of what it is no okay with preeclampsia in pregnancy you're all aware that there's lots of normal adaptations in the body including increased blood volume and increased cardiac output do y'all get that? do you remember that? vaguely it's back there okay what happens in preeclampsia or in PIH is that your arteries start to spasm okay so right now you have increased cardiac output your arteries start to spasm and they constrict when they're spasming. So you have increased pressure through the arteries and decreased organ perfusion because of the constriction and spasm. Do you follow? Okay. That constriction of the blood vessels causes endothelial damage because the blood's really working hard to get through the vessels that endothelial damage will start causing increases, further increases in vasoconstriction. It also will cause activation of the coagulation cascade, and it pulls volume from the vascular spaces into the tissues, which further impacts organ perfusion. You follow? okay this is on the same page as the other table or graph and this kind of gets more specific about what's happening with the tissue damage Um, as you have the endothelial damage you're going to see you'll have the fluid shifts there's a little pointer here the fluid shifts and that's going to cause all these things to happen which then causes all these things to happen It essentially affects every organ system in your body. And when you're looking at preeclampsia and you're looking at the signs and symptoms of preeclampsia, it's related to the damage happening here. Okay? Questions? All right. The more damage you have, the more your symptoms increase, and the more obvious they are. Clickers. Which of the following is a risk factor for PH? Is it working? Why did you pick who picked 250 and why did you someone why'd you pick that because the, <laughs> the other ones weren't okay <laughs> three is correct there are lots of risk factors associated with preeclampsia um, this is pretty much an exhaustive list Primigravida would be it's your first pregnancy a multip with a change in paternity. Does that make sense to you guys? So if a dad, if moms had pregnancies that are normal, and then she has a child with another father, that puts her at an increased risk. Especially if he had a previous partner who he got pregnant who had preeclampsia. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. That's really important when you're getting a health history. Um, age extremes we talked about. Diabetes, pre-existing HTM, vascular or renal disease. If you have twins or triplets or even more fetuses, uh, fetal hydrops, molar pregnancy. Molar pregnancy is something you'll learn about next semester. Um, it's just an abno- its a chromosome abnormal, chromosome abnormality. Um, PIH in a previous pregnancy, family history of hypertension vascular, or renal disease, or preeclampsia, obesity, and immunological factors, problems with um, antibody reactions, okay? When you're getting your assessment, when you're performing your assessment, you want to get a thorough history. You want to focus on those risk factors. When you're doing your physical, you're going to look at things for baseline okay and your labs are also looking for baselines what kind of assessments do you think you would be looking at when trying to establish if someone has preeclampsia especially if they're at risk what's that okay you'd be looking at their blood pressure There has been previously, and when you guys get out and are working on the floors, you might hear someone say, well, her blood pressure is 140 over 80, and when she came in pre-pregnancy, it was 100 over 60. So she must have preeclampsia. 140 over 80 is high, but just because it's that much higher than her baseline pre-pregnancy blood pressure doesn't make her at risk for preeclampsia. Yes. Edema, okay. Let me go back to blood pressure. That's okay. With blood pressure and preeclampsia, mild preeclampsia, it's going to be 140 systolic, higher than 140 systolic, or higher than 90 diastolic. That would be considered hypertension in pregnancy. With preeclampsia, that blood pressure has to happen after 20 weeks, And that table that I told you about with the classes, it has that spelled out very nicely there. So 20 weeks, 140 over 90. Okay? Um, With your labs, well, let's go, I'm sorry, let's go back to assessment. Edema, why would we worry about edema? Uh, The fluid into the tissues. tissues. You're going to see increasing edema as your preeclampsia worsens okay sometimes just by being pregnant you're going to have edema especially dependent edema so if you've been sitting for a real long time you'll have it in your legs with preeclampsia that edema won't go away with changing positions so if you're you have your patient lie down and the edema gets better it's probably dependent edema and not related to preeclampsia any other yes Protein in your urine. Yes. High blood pressure and proteinuria are the classic symptoms and signs of preeclampsia. How much protein in your urine? <laughs> it's plus 2 to plus 3 on dipstick, which would be 200 milligrams per deciliter. DL. DL on a 24-hour urine, okay. All right, couple other things related to other body systems. We talked about edema, we talked about blood pressure. You're gonna have vision changes and headaches and that's related to vasospasm of the blood vessels to the eye, headaches from the pressure on the neurological system. You'll also have epigastric pain especially on the right side why do you think that is what's what organs on the upper right side I heard it liver liver all right baseline labs on page 792 in your book let me just see the table here yes There is a big box on the bottom of the page that talks about lab values that are pertinent when we're looking at preeclampsia, what the normal ranges are, what the ranges are for mild preeclampsia, and what the ranges are for severe. If I were you guys, I would very specifically look at that box okay, and take a look at what the normal ranges are. And we're going to talk more specifically as we go on here, but write that page number down if you don't get my point. HELP syndrome. Does anyone know what HELP stands for? Yes. She said hemolysis, which is your H, elevated liver enzymes, which is your EL, and low platelets, which is your LP. What's that? Okay. H is hemolysis. It's It's a mnemonic to remember this. H is hemolysis, E is elevated, L is liver, the second L is low, and the P is platelets. So when you're looking at that lab box, which values do you think you'd want to pay attention to? What labs do you think would be important for that? Platelet count? count, Less than 100,000? Is important? A CBC. You want to look at your hemoglobin, your hematocrit, and your platelets when we're talking preeclampsia. Elevated liver enzymes. AST, what's that? Your BUM. That's more related to kidney failure or kidney renal disease as opposed to liver when we're talking about health, but that is a value that you should look at. Um, your AST and ALT, and your obviously your platelet counts. As you get further into preeclampsia, as it's worsening, and you have further organ damage, things that measure urine and renal kidney renal and kidney function would be your BUN, your creatinine. You're also going to look at uric acid. Oh. Let's go back. Let's go back. Um, that's edema down there. Any questions about labs before I move on? Okay. When it's getting worse, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, if it's not taken care of, if you're not treating it, you can develop DIC. Did you guys have DIC at all yet? No. Okay. DIC is a, it stands for, and don't write this down because it's not going to be on a test, um, disseminated intravascular coagulopathy. And what happens is your body, and in pregnancy this happens, you have increased clotting factors because you're at risk for hemorrhage after you deliver. Okay? Um, increased clotting factors. So with DIC, what happens, and it's, it happens after help, all your clotting factors are focused on one place, often the uterus. So you have no clotting factors or protection for the rest of your body. So you start hemorrhaging from other parts of your body. So you'd have seepage from IV sites, you have petechiae. you'd have blood, popped blood vessels in your eyes and stuff like that. So we're monitoring for things like that. So when you're working with someone with preeclampsia, they're going to do a CBC and platelet counts. They're going to do a CMP, Comprehensive Metabolic Panel, which is gonna look at your renal function, all of your liver enzymes. But they'll also do coagulation studies, including PTs, PTTs, things like that, for um, fibrinogen, fibrin split products, all that stuff's in the box but they're looking to differentiate from HELP versus DIC, okay? So when you see all those labs and you're thinking, what is all this stuff? With preeclampsia, you're most concerned about your platelets, your liver enzymes, and your your H&H, all right. The effects that preeclampsia has on a mother are placental abruption. Anyone hazard a guess to what that is? Because I know it's next semester, too. When the placenta detaches from the uterine wall, exactly. Seizures, you'll have acute renal renal failure, liver failure. You can have pulmonary edema because of the increased fluid. Cardiac dysfunction, and that's more related to the um, electrolyte imbalances that happen from the fluid shifts. Um, Cerebral hemorrhage, DIC, and an increased risk for surgical birth. The effects on the baby, oh, going back, there's a research study recently, I think it was 2006, that says if you have preeclampsia, you are at a much higher risk for cardiovascular disease in later life. So if, you have, if that's something you want to talk about in your history or when you're educating your patient. For baby, you have an increased risk for preterm birth, fetal growth restriction. Anyone figure out why that would be a problem? Yes. She said not getting enough blood supply to the baby, and that's correct. You have decreased placental perfusion so the baby's not getting the nutrients that it needs to grow. A non-reassuring NST, or um, fetal monitoring strip, which Katie talked about Wednesday, so I know you know what that is. A placental abruption, an intrauterine death. Eclampsia. This is when you have seizures. That's the hallmark of eclampsia. You'll have a diagnosis of preeclampsia until you have a seizure. And as soon as you start to have a seizure, your diagnosis changes from preeclampsia to eclampsia. We want to work with all the healthcare team members to make sure we don't get to eclampsia. What can seizures do to a baby? Yes. It decreases their oxygen supply. What can it do to mom? All right. Right. There's going to be severe damage to them with seizures, particularly with the uterus and the placenta. When you're seizing, you're shaking. Think about with a car accident, your head flies through and you get brain damage from the head, the shearing factors. Essentially, the same type of thing can happen with the uterus, and that's what causes the placental abruption. Okay? And then you're you're bleeding, you're hemorrhaging, and does that make sense? All right. Who here, let's see, is it the next slide? Yes. Who here has ever seen a grandma seizure? One person. Would you like to see a video? It's about two minutes long. It's from YouTube. It's a guy. It is not a pregnant female. But I never saw a seizure coming out of nursing school, and I was anxious to know what one looked like. And this is a good description. Just remember, in preeclampsia, it's always going to be a pregnant woman. Okay? All right. All right. Before we talk about diagnoses, what got, what can you point out about that video? What do you think is important about it? You gotta love YouTube. Anyone? Yes. Why? So they don't grab them and what? prevent injury. Right, exactly. What else was going on in that video? They were taking away Snickers. <gasps> They'll give them to him later. <laughs> <laughs> Only you. What's that? Sleepy. You'll probably be sleepy, sleepy afterwards, yes? Yes. Yes. Very important. Okay. Provided oxygen. What else was going on there? It was in place before the seizure happened. So the was it, uh, that was family around the bed at first. But they got out of the then the nurses all came in and they got out of the way. They were doing it, I, and I'm sure that's why it was videotaped because they were doing an e- Yeah. Yes, they had bed they had side rails up and the, bed ra- um, the rails padded. And that's mm-hmm. all to prevent injury. These are some of your common diagnoses. And I, that should be, a, you should have that slide. Next question. The client seen in the prenatal clinic. The physician directly admits her due to worsening preeclampsia. What should the nurse do? Just talk about it. See how much it retained. Everybody ready? Have s- oxygen and suction. And who picked A? Who picked A? Nobody wants to. F- Why did you pick A? Yes. But the trick there is I have top side rails, and you will actually have all four side rails padded. Okay? You always want to have oxygen and suction available at the bedside if you suspect pre, if your patient's diagnosed with preeclampsia. It's very important that you have that there. The oxygen because you're having constriction of everything during the seizures. You want to make sure you're getting oxygen, mom and baby. Okay. We never give a fluid bolus three because they've already have excess fluid. We actually want to restrict fluids and. If they have worsening preeclampsia, you don't want to really have family around. So the answer is four. Other nursing interventions. You're going to do continuous maternal fetal monitoring. Your seizure precautions, which are decreased stimulus in the room, dim lighting, low noise, all four side rails padded, oxygen and suction around. And I'm pretty sure you've had seizures this year, so if you don't remember all that stuff, you'll want to review it. You want to do frequent vital signs and deep tendon reflexes is what DTR is. I didn't talk a whole lot about reflexes with what's going on at preeclampsia, but you have an irritation of the neurological system because of the cellular damage, and they're going to be hyperreflexive, which means you'll have brisk reflexes, patellar, shoulder, and you'll also have clonus. Does anyone know what clonus is? No? Who wants to sit up here for me? Jean? Ah. Yeah. And then take your shoes off. Clonus would be ankle clicks, and what you do is you relax their foot. Can you all kind of see? And you press really hard on the ball of the foot and flex it towards the patient. Okay? And when you let go, it goes click, click, click. Kind of like... Um, a seat belt that you have to adjust, the old seat belts like on a roller coaster or something, not in a car. Does that make sense? Okay. There's a better description in the book, probably. But real what you're doing is is relaxing the foot and pressing real hard. Sorry. And you're feeling right where my hand is, and it'll go click, click, click. And you measure that by the number of clicks. So it would be clonus times one, clonus times two, depending on the number of clicks. As the reflexes get more brisk, you're having worsening uh, preeclampsia. You wanna talk to the family, tell them what's going on, why you're doing everything that we're doing, what could happen if they don't follow the instructions of the doctor, things like that. We're gonna give meds as needed. Monitor our lab values, which we talked about. You wanna look at those trends. You wanna see are those platelets getting lower Are the liver enzymes getting higher? They already came in, and she started out with low platelets and high enzymes, but are they getting worse? And you always want to have their call bell near them and make sure they know where it is and make sure family knows where it is in case she starts to have a seizure. Can anyone else think of anything they might want to add there? No? Okay. sulfate. This is the big drug used in preeclampsia. Okay. Essentially, it is a smooth muscle relaxant. It interferes with the release of acetylcholine at the synapsis. Therefore, decreasing neuromuscular irritability. Yes, it interferes with the release of acetylcholine at the synapsis, therefore decreasing neuromuscular irritability. It can also depress cardiac conduction And you should keep in mind that it's excreted by the kidneys. It is usually given IV. And on initial diagnosis of preeclampsia, you'll usually give a bolus. Do you all know what a bolus is? Okay. It's usually four grams. And it's usually over 20 to 30 minutes. Then you'll have a continuous maintenance dose, and that typically is about two grams per hour. Your book talks a little bit about putting it into, a um, mixing the magnesium with a liter of fluid, but they've actually now started decreasing that and you'll, you'll mix it with either 250 cc's of LR or normal, sal- uh, not LR, You'll mix it with normal saline or sterile water, 250 or 500, and that's because of the fluid restrictions. You don't want to overload them. Okay. What kind of things do you think you need to assess in mom when you're using magnesium sulfate? Why? Because it decreases the muscle tone for their body. Their- exactly. What else? Think about the path, yes. Heart rate, mm hmm. Okay. Exactly. You want to watch your reflexes because anything related to muscles and reflexes will be affected by mag sulfate. What would you expect to happen with the reflexes when you have someone on mag sulfate? Decrease. Okay. So what happens if they're plus two and you check her again an hour later and they're absent? What are you worried about? Or well you're worried you're worried about magnesium toxicity. Because remember that magnesium's excreted by the kidneys and you already have kidney damage and so the kidneys aren't working real well, so the magnesium's gonna start building up in your bloodstream, and you're gonna have mag toxicity. So frequently, you'll see the doctor's ordering a magnesium level. Your therapeutic range is four to seven milliequivalents per liter. And if you guys have looked at your pharmacology book regarding mag sulfate, there's a discrepancy with that rate. That rate's a little bit different. Go by this one, four to seven, because that's what we use in practice. Okay. What else do you want to watch for mom? Level consciousness. Level of consciousness yep. You want to look at you. You want to restrict your fluids to about one hundred and twenty-five cc's an hour. So you're going to monitor that. You want to watch our urine output because of the kidney function failure, or possible failure. What is a normal output, urine output? 30, 30 cc's an hour, 30 milliliters an hour, so you want at least that. Okay? You want to have calcium gluconate at the bedside, which Jean mentioned. And it's usually given one gram by slow IV push. And you'll usually have a protocol or a standing order for you to give that if you find mom's respiratory rates low or she's, her reflexes are absent. What are you gonna watch for in baby? Are there any effects on the baby? You might see um, not great variability. It won't, it won't be a non-reassuring fetal monitor strip but it won't be extremely reassuring the magnesium is usually safe for the baby once mom's level starts getting above seven and higher you might have a sleepy baby at birth you might have some respiratory distress and you'll need to support that baby with oxygen and possibly give calcium to the baby You always want to document everything when it comes to preeclampsia. I took care of a patient who came in with severe preeclampsia and then she really wanted to go home so the doctors let her go home and the nurses were meticulous about charting what they told her to do when she got home and when they should call. 24 hours later she came back in a full balloon eclamptic seizure and almost died, she was 28 weeks. Her name is Tricia. I'll never forget her. Um, she almost died, and her baby almost died because of it. Because of the nurses' documentation, we're not in any trouble at all, okay? They were meticulous. So you wanna make sure you write down all of that. Good question, and I probably would have forgot to say that if you didn't say it, so thank you. What does magnesium sulfate do to help the preeclampsia? Does it lower your blood pressure? It's a smooth muscle relaxant, so it will cause some dilation. Yes? A little bit. Its main function is to decrease the neurological irritability and prevent seizures. Doesn't do, you might see an initial drop in blood pressure when you first give it, but it's not a consistent (coughs) blood pressure drop. To treat the blood pressure, you're gonna be giving other medications that you've talked about in the treatment of high blood pressure, labetalol, hydralazine, things like that. But magnesium sulfate will not decrease your blood pressure. Its sole purpose is to prevent seizures. All right. What about postpartum? Do we worry about preeclampsia and postpartum? You're still at risk to go from preeclampsia to eclampsia for 72 hours after delivery. Does anyone know the sole cure? The one and only cure for preeclampsia. Delivery. And that's why we talked about surgical births after, or earlier. Yes, Gretchen. Oh, you're going to answer. Okay. So, yes, it's still an issue. So you want to be watching mom for risks of seizures. So you're still going to be looking at labs. You're still going to be monitoring her blood pressure and her reflexes, respiratory rate. If she's on magnesium sulfate which is a smooth muscle relaxant, what do you think she's at major risk for? What kind of muscle is the uterus? It's a smooth muscle. muscle. So she's at an increased risk for hemorrhage, so you need to be pretty observant and anticipate her risk for hemorrhaging after birth. And watch her lochia, feel her fundus to make sure it's firm, and you'll probably be giving oxytocin VIV. Okay. Yes? So what effect does Naxl have on the contractions? Good question. You, if you're monitoring someone for preeclampsia <sighs> and you decide that you want to get them delivered but they're, it's not severe enough that you need to do a C-section, then you will induce labor usually using oxytocin. And you'll probably need higher levels of oxytocin than you would need in a normal... Mom, because they kind of fight each other. Okay. Magnesium sulfate can make you feel blah. You're all floppy and you feel crappy, essentially. And so that mom's going to need a lot of support with getting in and out of bed. She's probably going to have a Foley catheter in while she's on the magnesium because she can't contract the muscles to help her urinate. Plus, you want to have accurate measurement of her urine output. So you'll probably have the catheter in. As she's improving, you want to encourage gradual ambulation. You don't want to just have her hop up and run. Okay? Any other? I have nothing else. Do you guys have any questions about that before I move on? I think that's it. (laughs) That was my sigh. (sighs) my third lecture this week. Any questions about this? It gets, it's intense stuff, especially the pathophysiology related, but if you can remember the pathophysiology and the causes of the symptoms, then it all kind of pretty much falls into place. Do you all know my email? I can write my email. If you guys have questions that you need anything clarified, Karen Thompson's my name. It's K... T167663. Because six, 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 I'm not faculty, so it's not my whole name. At Westchester. Feel free to contact me. I'm here a lot, so if you guys see me and just want to ask a question, you can certainly do that. Um, a big question earlier in the week when I lectured the 400 level was hey, how many test questions do you have? I have three. Three. Okay. All right. That's all I have. If you guys want to take a break and then be back here at 11, um, are you? Chris is lecturing next, so hold on to your clickers. Okay, questions? Thank you.